We are going to be looking at Psalm 91 this morning. Um, so, uh, so when we, so as you're turning there, uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of background on this. Um, there's actually a little bit of mystery about this psalm, Psalm 91. Throughout the centuries, there's been some disagreement about um, who actually wrote it and where it fits. Uh, some have thought that it actually is a continuation of Psalm 90, which is attributed to Moses, and um, certainly it does have some continuity with that psalm because it focuses on, uh, which focuses on God being the protector of his people. Um, but despite sharing a, a similar focus, others, and, and I honestly think these scholars are, are probably closer to right, um, they've seen that Psalm 91 appears to have a different intent. Um, it's not strictly speaking, um, even as Psalm 90 is a this psalm that, that points us to God being the protector of his people, it's also a psalm of lament, of sorrow over, God, over Israel's foolish rebellion against God in the wilderness despite his gracious care and protection. And it calls its hearers to humble themselves and to find satisfaction in him alone. Psalm 91, though, is a song of trust, one that follows in the same vein as Psalms 20, 23, 46, and 121. Because of that, it's also a song of wisdom, helping us to walk faithfully in troubled and troubling times. And uh, because of that, it is, it, is, it is good news, but it's also structured as good news from one person to another as one who speaks from a deep trust in the Lord, words of comfort and hope and encouragement to another who is seeking refuge in the Lord. And so as we, as we examine this passage today, that's what, what really we need as well, especially as we consider the weight of so much darkness that's surrounding us in this world. I mean, with so much evil seeming to lurk behind every corner, and we've seen so much of it in the news just in the last two weeks alone. It's tempting to grow disheartened and to truly wonder if God does indeed even care. When the darkness of the world tempts us toward merely, merely human solutions, we need hope. Because otherwise, we're going to put our hope in things that don't last so, politics, or worse, politicians, money, or even in a you-can-do-it attitude. I mean, after all, as many an Instagram influencer has told, told us in the face of a difficult situation, you got this. But, here's the truth, you don't. You don't got this. None of us have got this. I know I don't got this, I'm a mess. And so, this psalm is a reminder for you. And it's a reminder for me. It's a reminder for all of us specifically, for all of us personally, for all of us individually, that yes, God does care. And yes, we do have reason to hope despite all the evidence to the contrary in this world. And as you're going to see, you have reason to hope for three reasons. First, that you can have hope right now because of who God is. Second, that you can have hope because God protects his people. And third, you can have hope because God assures his people. 
So let's look at the first, just the first two verses of this song, psalm, and we'll get right into this. So uh, I'm reading from the NET translation, so if it sounds a little bit different than what you've got um, on your phone or, uh, or open in front of you, that's okay. You'll still see some continuity. So verse 1, as for you, the one who lives in the shelter of the Most High and resides in the protective shadow of the Sovereign One. I say this about the Lord, my shelter and my stronghold, my God in whom I trust. So these opening two verses provide us with the Psalms' overall intent. They offer these words of hope and encouragement to one of God's weary people. That God provides refuge, so shelter and protection to all who trust in him, no matter the dangers we face in this life. God is a protector, a provider who offers shelter and strength to all who trust in him. And those who seek refuge in him have nothing to fear. This is my God in whom I trust, as the psalmist wrote. And those who, those who seek refuge have nothing to fear. So that is the, the overall purpose of this psalm, to spur us on to greater trust in God. But it's not a general trust in God because these verses don't simply give us the, this basic purpose. They also, they are underpinned by an understanding of the psalmist's relationship with God himself. I mean, just in these two verses, the psalmist uses four different names and titles for God himself. He says, the most high, so the exalted ruler of the universe who vindicates the righteous and judges the wicked, the sovereign one, the supreme authority of all creation from whom all blessing and judgment flows, the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, the personal covenantal name of God spoken to Moses from the burning bush, the name that indicates his great intimacy with his people. And finally, and perhaps counterintuitively, the most generic name of all, God. And while this is generic on its own, the psalmist still makes this deeply personal by not simply saying God, but saying my God my God in whom I trust. This is the God who rules everything and has power over everything, the undisputed master of all that was and is and ever will be, the one who brought everything into existence with a word, the one who made a barren couple into the forebears of a powerful nation, who appeared in a bush that wouldn't burn and parted seas, who made bread rain from the sky and made water spring forth from a stone, who delivered his people from bondage into freedom, even as they stubbornly rebelled against him the whole way. This is the same all-powerful God, the one who did all of this and so much more. This all-powerful God is the one in whose shelter the psalmist lives. He is my shelter and stronghold, he says to his hearer. He is my God. The psalmist has hope because of who God is. And the good news is, is that just as the, um, as the psalmist himself will tell us all in just a moment, we can have that hope too. 
you and I can have hope right now in every moment, in every situation because of who God is. And I have to confess that that's something that I need right now. And I didn't know how much I needed that until I actually started preparing to share this with you this week. Because let's just be honest, with everything that's going on in the world, everything that's making its way to our eyes, our ears, and our hearts through the news, through social media, through updates from friends, it's all just a lot. It's a weight that is too much for any one person to bear. When we are inundated with bad news after bad news after bad news after tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And when that happens, we need hope. I need hope. I need the hope that comes from this truth, from the truth of who God is. And the good news for all of us is that because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection in payment for our sins, we have it. We all have it. Because that's the God that we worship, the same God that we read about and hear from, uh, hear from every time we open the Bible. That's the same God that we're talking about right now in this moment. The Most High, the Sovereign One, Yahweh, the Great I Am, my God, my shelter and stronghold. So right out of the gate, here's the first question this psalm encourages us to consider. Is this the God you know? Do you know him? Does the, does the psalmist's way of speaking about God resonate with how you think about God and how you experience him? The most high, the sovereign one, the great I am, who is simply, not simply God, but who is your God. And if you're like me, your honest answer is probably sometimes. It's not consistent because the intimacy this psalm describes doesn't completely match what any of us experiences, at least not every day. And so if you resonate with that, again, there's good news because you're not alone in that. All of us even the psalmists themselves experience a wavering intimacy with God. Because remember, the Psalms, this book that collects the most human passages of the Bible, is the same one that we read encouragement like this, while at the same time we'll read statements like, God, why are you so far away? And God, why have you forsaken me? Our hearts as well, are just prone to wander. We're prone to grow cold in our love for God. We're tempted to love lesser things with a greater intensity than we love the Lord. But thankfully, God is kind. God is gracious, and he draws our affections back to him. Whenever we wander, he draws us close, and he pursues us. But just because this is a common experience for all of us, it doesn't mean that there aren't ways to genuinely increase our intimacy with God. And so how do we do that? Well, generally, 
And this is going to be earth-shattering knowledge, guys. This is, you've never heard this before. But there are three extremely helpful and practical ways to do this. Read your Bible consistently, pray regularly, and be in Christian community. Like I said, earth-shattering stuff here. But let's talk, about, let's talk about this real quick. So when I say read your Bible consistently, what I mean by that is just read it on a regular basis. It doesn't matter if you're reading a verse, a chapter, a whole book, whatever it is, regularly and consistently. So how do you do that? Well, again, you, you just read a little bit every day to whatever capacity you can. So whether you use a structured plan, you pick one book and camp out at it, in it for a long time, or you take my preferred method, which is just start at Genesis 1-1 and keep reading until you reach Revelation 22-20, and then you start over again. Whatever way works for you, just do that. So that's number one. Number two is choose a translation that works for you. So a lot of us here prefer the ESV. Um, a lot of you have it open on your phone or, or open on your lap. Um, but let's remember as well that there's no right or wrong translation to read. So if you're struggling to read consistently, maybe try reading a different translation. It's part of the reason why I actually preach from different translations than Dustin does is because I want to introduce you all to ones that maybe you'll, you'll resonate with a little bit easier. So ones like the NET, the CSB, the NIV, or even ones that lean more toward being a paraphrase like the NLT. All of these are beneficial. And, and so just use one that works for you and helps you love Jesus more through his word. And if you struggle with reading in general, try an audio app. Um, I actually really love doing this. I use um, an app called Dwell uh, pretty regularly. It offers multiple translations, listening plans, lots of other things like that. Um, so um, even if you, um, and honestly, even if you don't struggle with reading, that can, be, that can still be a helpful pr approach because it gets into your mind in a different way. Next thing is to read expecting to hear from God. So, as Christians, we do believe that, we, uh, that God's primary way of speaking to us, most clearly revealing his character, his nature, his will, is through the Bible. So come to the Bible expecting to hear from him and pray and ask him to speak to you through it. Now, speaking of, of prayer, if you want to grow in your intimacy with God, pray regularly. Because every relationship we have, it requires one thing, communication. If you want to, like all of us who are married in this room know that if we want to have a healthy relationship with our spouse, we have to talk to one another and not just talk past one another or talk at one another, but actually talk to one another. So we need to listen to one another as, as much as we say words. Um, and so that necessarily includes our relationship with God, because if we want to grow our relationship, we actually need to talk to him and with him. So God speaks to us through his word, and we respond through our prayers. Prayer, and prayer at its most basic level, is just talking to God. 
So there's no specialized vocabulary that you need to learn. There's no specific tone or posture, time of day, any of these kinds of things. You just need to pray openly, honestly, earnestly about anything and everything in all times, in all places, alone, with others, however it works. That is how you build your relationship with God. And finally, the third way is to, is to be engaged with Christian community. So God saves us from sin. He welcomes, a, um, but he doesn't just save us from sin and leave us on our own. He actually brings us into community, into his family made up of people. Christians are called to be a part of community with one another, to encourage one another in their faith, to spur one another on to love and good works, confront one another in love when we sin and bear one another's burdens as we grow together to be more like Jesus. So in other words, we need other people to grow in our relationship with God and to grow in our holiness. And so that's one of the reasons why Community groups are so important here at Refuge. And it's why we have different intentional discipleship groups for men and women that meet all around the area to to grow in our intimacy with God, to grow in our faith, to have hope in troubling times. We need one another to know who God truly is. And so that's good news. But knowing who God is is not the only reason that we can have hope. We can have hope because God also protects his people, which is what we see in verses 3 through 13. So in these verses, the psalmist's language actually changes. It shifts from the first person of the first two verses, where he's saying, my God and I, the God I trust. And he starts saying, you And this is really important because when you read this, um, because the English language is just the worst, we use the same word for just about everything. So you can both be plural or it can be singular. This is singular. So when you read this, read this as though it is one person speaking directly to you. So, and he does that as he expands on, the, uh, expands on the multifaceted ways in which God protects his people. And so, in verses 3 to 6, this is what we read. He will certainly rescue you from the snare of the hunter and from the destructive plague. He will shelter you with his wings. You will find safety under his wings. His faithfulness is like a shield or a protective wall. You need not fear the terrors of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in the darkness, or the disease that ravages at noon. So the psalmist here uses uh, a number of different images that uh, may be somewhat confusing to us. I mean, the, the snare of the hunter, or, or actually a fowler's trap. Um, so it's, it's this image of bird, uh, of bird hunting. Uh, is used here, and as well as destructive plagues, um, which I know is a trigger warning for so many of us after the last two years. Um, but um, we've got that, and then we've got these terrors of the night and arrows that fly by day, plagues that stalk in darkness, and disease that ra- diseases that ravage at noon. 
We need to be careful that uh, we read these carefully, um, as we all, uh, because as we have all seen, none of us are immune to sickness and disease simply because we believe in Jesus. And so, we have to understand that these are metaphors that 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 he is using. And um, considering all the many metaphors that are used within Scripture, these are probably best understood as God's protection from the unseen dangers that all of us are prone to. The dangers that though that those we might consider strong in the faith are as equally prone to succumb to as those whose faith seems to be hanging on by a thread. The many and varied temptations that exist to derail our faith, to take us off course, to compromise our character and integrity and our loyalty to the Lord. And so whether these come to us through ordinary or extraordinary means, through the people that we know, through the box of temptation that we all carry around in our pockets, um, through supernatural agents that are working against us as well, we all experience temptations in many different ways to sin. We're all prone to wander and to succumb to our particular weaknesses. But again, there's good news here, and that good news is that we can find shelter from every temptation, from every weakness that threatens to overcome us as we seek refuge in the Lord. And he wants to help us. Not only that, he does help us, even at times when we're entirely unaware of it. So keep reading in verse 7. Though a thousand may fall beside you and a multitude on your right side, it will not reach you. Certainly, you will see it with your, own very, with your very own eyes, and you will see the wicked paid back. For you have taken refuge in the Lord, my shelter the Most High. No harm will overtake you. No illness will come near your home. So these verses give a picture of God's providential care. Um, and protection on a deeply personal level. And so by providential, for those who don't know, that means that means God's unseen hand at work in the world, guiding the events of your life according to his purposes. And this can be difficult for many of us to understand um, as, because, as you've already experienced, God's providential care and protection doesn't mean that you're going to live a, a pain-free and difficulty-free life. If anything, it seems that we are beset with sorrow, trial, and difficulty. I mean, David, the man after God's own heart, he was chased by his foes and surrounded constantly by his enemies. He had a father-in-law who threw spears at him. That's not an easy life. The prophet Elijah, he was a fugitive waging a one-man war against an idolatrous nation who was so weary he laid down in the wilderness and said, can I please just die now? And then God told him to get up. And then there's Paul. Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, and imprisoned multiple times over. Just a couple of these things that happened to him should have killed him at least once. And yet he didn't die. This is, the same, this is the same person who wrote about a third of our New Testament 
and could write these triumphal words that we see in Romans 8.28, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. Paul understood that God's providential care didn't exclude the possibility of harm and even death. It's that God would surely protect us in this life through every trial and time of trouble so that the work he began in the beginning by saving you and me would be brought to its full and perfect completion. That is God's providential care for us. But his care isn't just providential. Sometimes it's revealed in overtly miraculous ways. And that's what we see in verses 11 through 13. He says, For he will order his angels to protect you in all you do. They will lift you up in their hands, and you will not slip and fall on a stone. You will subdue a lion. You will trample underfoot a young lion and a serpent. So God provides protection from temptations which threaten to take us off course. He works providentially to accomplish his purposes, and he even commands his unseen supernatural agents to come to our aid in our times of greatest need and trouble. So much so that not even the devil himself can stand against the servants of the Lord. That's the kind of care that we have. Now, listening to these words, there, there is a, a real triumphal sense to them, isn't there? In fact, they're so powerful, it's really tempting to become puffed up and to start acting as though we are invincible. I mean, after all, Scripture says that we are more than conquerors in Christ, right? And so if God has promised that nothing can harm us, then there's nothing that we can't do. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? So think in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, because that's the thinking that Satan tried to tempt Jesus with when he transported him to the top of the temple and said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, quoting this psalm, he will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will lift you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's the same type of thinking that he tempts us with today. Remember, it's tempting to think about, it, it's tempting to, to, when we read of, of Satan being overcome in Scripture, it's tempting to downplay the danger of, of him. But remember, he is extremely dangerous. He is a roaring lion he, with its back against a wall, ready to devour anyone or anything that gets too close. And yet, he's also extremely unoriginal. He uses the same tricks over and over again, often, unfortunately, to great effect because we likewise are also very predictable, so we get fooled by the, same, by the same things. So when we read these verses, and not just not just verses 11 through 13, but all of these promises of God's protection for you and for me, for all who seek refuge in him, if we become puffed up and arrogant, we're reading them wrong. 
So before we find our egos writing checks our bodies can't cash, we need to say, as Jesus did in his temptation, yeah, you're right, that is written. But it's also written, you're not to put the Lord to the test. And so when we think about God's protection of us, his supernatural care for us, his providential care for us, his, um, his many and varied sorts of protection for us. And we think about this temptation that we have to put him to the test. Let's ask, let's ask the question, how's that going for us? Where are we tempted to put him to the test, to act presumptuously in light of all of those promises? And what can we do to recognize and to counter it? That's a good, a good discussion to have in your, in your community groups this week, but it's also something that, uh, that Scripture, prayer, and community, again, are become really important to us. Because when we read the Bible consistently, we see how all of the pieces of Scripture fit together to give us a clearer picture of how God's protection works. And we need to pray regularly and consistently for God's help in resisting temptation and sin to remain faithful in the most difficult circumstances. And when we have community, we have people around us who are positively praying for us and who can also come around us and warn us when we are starting to become arrogant and puffed up and conceited, when we're in danger of crossing lines that we ought not cross. So God's protection of you and me ought to inspire actually a greater sense of humility. It should drive us to say along with David, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Because the truth is, the kindness and care that God shows us, the protection he provides, all of it is of grace. It's a gift from our loving Father, our God who is our shelter and stronghold. And in times of difficulty, we can have hope because we know that God protects his people. And he wants you to know that as well. And that's where what we see actually in these final verses as once again, the voice shifts from the psalmist first speaking in the first person about himself to speaking directly to each of us individually. And finally, the Lord speaks in confirmation. And here's what he says. The Lord says, because he is devoted to me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he is loyal to me. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him when he is in trouble. I will rescue him and bring him honor. I will satisfy him with long life. And I will let him see my salvation. These words are so encouraging. These words of assurance to the, the devoted and to the loyal. Because eight times in these last three verses, God confirms the hope that we have because of who he is and because of his protection. He says, I will deliver him. I will protect him. I will answer him. I will be with him. I will rescue him. I will honor him. I will satisfy him with long life. And I will let him see my salvation. 
And so the good news here is, is that no matter what you face in this particular moment, God is there. No matter what you experience, God is with you. You're not alone. And that in those moments when our fears threaten to overtake us, when our trials and trouble tempt us to despair, those are the times when we find our hope because he is here. But this hope isn't limited to the temporal now. It's not just for right at this moment in 2022. These words of assurance so clearly speak to our greater hope, our eternal hope, the hope that is found in the gospel. In fact, they speak to what God did for Jesus. Jesus, the one who was wrongly persecuted, who came into this world perfect in every way, and yet was, uh, had every said against him, was, uh, was wrongly imprisoned, was beaten, abused, was wrongly executed by human standards, all according to God's plans. But he was the one who was devoted, more devoted than the most devoted of us could ever be. And God delivered him. God protected him. God answered when he cried out to him. God was with him in his deepest moments of trouble. God rescued him and brought him honor when he was resurrected. And he, and he is alive now, waiting for us. And he will be with us. And we will be with him. And because of all that Jesus experienced, we are rescued from sin. We are brought honor and glory. People who were enemies of God, who were helpless and weary, have been adopted as beloved children. Because of Jesus, we not only have long life, we have something much better. We have eternal life. Life forever free from judgment because Jesus was judged for us. We have seen God's salvation. We have experienced it through faith in Jesus. And best of all, we look forward to the day when we will stand face to face with him, when we will see him with our eyes for the very first time. And what's amazing is, is that when we do, he will be wiping every tear from our eyes as he bids us welcome. This is not an empty platitude. It's not a baseless hope. It's not pie-in-the-sky optimism. This is certain, assured, confident hope. It's hope that God has confirmed again and again and again, not just in the words of Scripture, but even as he sent his spirit into this world to be a comforter, to dwell within his people. Something that is, such, is incredible to think about, that God is with us right now. And if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have sought shelter under his wings, this assurance is truly for you. This is the good news that shapes your life 
life. This is the good news that you and I need right now. This is the good news that offers all of us hope, even when everything in the world encourages us to despair or to put our confidence in alternatives, things that will always fall short. It's the good news that we have to share with the whole world. And so as we prepare to transition to a time of communion, remembering Jesus' blood shed and his body broken in payment for our sins, to make this great hope a reality for all of us today, take some time and consider where you need that assurance right now. Where are you tempted to lose hope? Where are you tempted to be drawn away from your love for Jesus? Where do you find yourself uh, tempted to compromise? Bring all of those things to the Lord. Talk with someone in the room. Trust him and others with them. Ask God to reveal those areas um, for you as well. Ask him to come to your aid because he will. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, first, hi, welcome. And second, if you are not a Christian, what you've heard is stirring something in your heart. While the rest of us are taking communion, there are people who are all over the room. I'll be hanging around. Um, Two of our elders are here. There's lots of other people as well who would love to talk with you, to pray with you. And we want to help you in any way that we can. And so as we close our time, let's remember this good news that we've heard today, that even as we consider the weight of the darkness of this world, when it's tempting to grow disheartened, to wonder if God truly even cares, when it's tempting to put our hope in anything else, this psalm, Psalm 91, is a reminder for you and for me that yes, God does care, that yes, we have good reasons to have hope today in this moment, despite every evidence to the contrary, that we can have hope because of who God is, that we can have hope because God protects his people. And we can have hope because God assures his people and not just for today in this moment, but for all eternity. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you love your people. Thank you that you care for your people. Thank you that you give us hope and assurance even and that it is that best of all that it is not because of anything that we've done but it's because of who you are that you are so good to us despite our tendencies to wander despite our our weakness in our affection for you god please help us to be strengthened in our love for you to be encouraged in our hope in dark days, and to glorify you as we seek to know you fully, as we build our relationship with you in all the many ways that you have given us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.